0: So again, I want to say Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, it's a, uh, a joy to, to greet you. Last Sunday, we had a wonderful time with many of us um, in our home, having a service together and prayer and worship um, on Christmas Day. And so um, we get to continue our Christmas celebration tonight. And also, um, by virtue of the secular calendar, I want to say Happy New Year's again as well to you all, because this is obviously a, a big day in the life of um, our world in that we, we switch over from 2011 to 2012, and um, what I want to say New Year's is obviously it's a time of optimism and a time of hopefulness. Um, we see that all over the place. It's really a fork in the road for for many of us. A time when we sort of put what's behind us behind us in 2011 and, and welcome um, potentially brighter prospects for 2012. At least that's what we would be um, led to believe. And uh, there there was a, 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 um, I'm sure, a a well-distributed Associated Press article, um, some of you probably read it, which said, uh, the title was, you know, um, the world rings in 2012, bids adieu to a tough 2011. And um, the article goes on to talk about, um, just to interview people in Times Square, and and the the continual refrain is this one of, of cheerful optimism. You know, yeah, it's been a tough year. Um, but we're looking ahead to a better and brighter future in the year to come. Um, somebody was quoted saying this, you know, we're starting off optimistic and hoping it lasts. You know, um, just uh, didn't sound exactly too optimistic, but, um, you know, this, this is kind of the, the spirit of the day for us in, uh, in the world today. And, and I would concede, obviously, that New Year's Day is a day for the optimists. Uh, now, some of us are born optimists, and some of us are born more pessimists. I don't know where you fall on that scale. Um, I, I could easily identify more on the pessimistic side than the optimistic side, but I'd like to call it realism. Um, but anyway, I'm not, gonna, I'm not picking on the optimists tonight, um, but, I, but I do want to say a few things about the spirit of this day in relation to what we know in the scripture. Um, so this last week, as I was talking about uh, my own personal excitement to put 2011 behind and to move into 2012... Um, Three different people reminded me that 2012 may be no good, and maybe not nearly as good as 2011. And uh, I found that to be quite, you know, helpful, actually, in, uh, in these conversations, one of whom was a mentor of mine, um, who right now, Lord willing, is planning to be here in mid-February and to preach for us on February 15th. And he wrote me, and he said, this is tremendous, you know, New Year's encouragement to you, uh, this is a quote from his email. Unless we're alive when the Lord comes, we will have only one of two experiences. We will either die ourselves or we will watch everybody else die. Ultimately, of course, we will have both experiences. <laughs> a morbid observation, perhaps, but no less true for its morbidity. Um, so, there, so that was a little bit of my, my New Year's optimism kind of getting slammed in the face with some, uh, some good old straightforward truthfulness about what we live in. Um, we obviously, we, we can't escape the fact that we don't know what this year holds for us. Um, certainly, we can enter into this year with a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of well-placed hope and hopefulness about what God may do in our lives this year. In fact, this kind of hopefulness, I'm not meaning to completely poke fun at it, is, is genuinely um, part of what it means to be human. It's part of our humanity, is to, to long for health and blessing and abundance and these things that, that we each one of us longs for, not just um, for ourselves personally, but in many ways just for the world and for, the, for, for for our friends and for our family and for those that we know that are suffering. And so these longings are good things and things that, that, that we don't want to completely deny. But the reality is, is that none of us knows what's coming in the year ahead. And um, if our hope is in these things becoming realities in 2012 that maybe were or were not for us in 2011 then it's quite um, probable that we will end 2012 relatively disappointed um, and maybe jaded uh, and maybe in despair. And so um, the the reason I'm going through all of this is is I want to say that I'm really glad that New Year's Day, as Christians, is always wrapped up, sandwiched in, kind of crowded out by Christmastide. So New Year's Day, every year New Year's Day is the eighth day of Christmas. And so um, it provides some helpful context to the, the secular moment that we're in of dreaming and longing for what's ahead um, by virtue of placing it in this context of Christmastide and what really is um, that this whole season, this 12-day season, is, is all about. So that's where I want to go um, for just a moment. The, so the, the potentially blind or groundless optimism of this day has... Um, some very helpful moorings or anchors in, in the, the season of Christmastide. So Christmas actually points us to this wonderful reality that is so great and so true and so substantial and so much more meaningful than anything else that we know or experience in our lives. And it's this reality of God's salvation, of God coming to rescue his people, God actually coming to earth in the person of his, of his Son, and making himself and his presence and his purposes and his will and his character, all of these things known to us as his creatures. That's what we celebrate in time. You know, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This is what we're rejoicing in, is the reality that God comes. Now today, if you know your church calendar, uh, besides being New Year's Day in the secular calendar, today, at least in the Anglican Communion, is the Feast of the Holy Name or the Feast of the Circumcision of Christ. And the reason for that is because today is eight days after Christmas Day, and eight days after Christmas Day, as we read about in Luke 2, verse 21, is the day that male children in the nation of Israel were circumcised, and on that day they were given their name by their parents. So Jesus' parents take him to be circumcised, and then we read in Luke two twenty one that they gave him the name Jesus, that had been given to him already by the angels. So, this is the Feast of the Holy Name today. And the name of Jesus actually points us to the depth and the significance of the, the reality of Christmas. Jesus um, is the Greek version of Joshua, the Hebrew of Yeshua, which in popular etymology of the day was understood to mean Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And remember in Matthew's, Matthew 1's account of the birth of Jesus, this is the name, and his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what we read in Matthew 1. So the feast of the holy name reminds us of Jesus. Jesus reminds us of the reality that Yahweh saves, that God has come to save, which points us just to the central core insight and truth of Christmastide, which is that God is a God of salvation who rescues his people. A God who rescues his people and who saves his people from their sins, from their waywardness, their our, us going our own way, you know, us being like dumb little sheep who do their own thing and run into barbed wire all the time. And God comes and rescues and saves us. And that's the glory and the joy of this Christmas season for us. Galatians 4, which we read from tonight, Paul presses this point home about the reality of God's salvation with a tremendous amount of exodus imagery. I want to read three verses out of Galatians 4 again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. This is, in short, this is the, the, the retelling of the, the great narrative of, uh, of the Exodus when the people of God were in slavery under a foreign king, Pharaoh, under Egypt, and God sent forth, not his son, but he sent forth Moses, right? And he sent Moses to go and to rescue the people. And the people were brought out, they were rescued, they were saved from their foreign oppression By virtue of Passover, the sacrifice of a lamb. And also by virtue of the sacrifice of the firstborn son of the Egyptians, Pharaoh's own son. And it was that shedding of blood that led to the final breaking of Pharaoh's hardened will and heart. That brought the people of God out of bondage, then into the wilderness. Forty days later to receive the law on Sinai which would become a guidebook for them of how to live as they were pursuing their destination of the promised land and how to live once they got there as well. Paul's retelling that story in Galatians 4 in saying that actually when the time had fully come, what God did was he he actually sent forth his son, Jesus, not Moses, to come and and to rescue you. And the blood that was shed, the, 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 the new image of Passover was his own blood. Glory to the newborn king who wasn't born to live and to rule and to reign in the way that we would expect a king to live and to rule and to reign, at least not yet. But was born to pour out. To take the lower place, as we read in Philippians 2, to to take on the form of a servant, to become obedient even unto death, to, to pour out his life for us. This is how he came. Forty days later, he, well, he was resurrected three days later. Ten days later, he ascended. and Forty days later, so instead of God sending forth the law, then God sends forth the Spirit of his Son. Verse 6. Into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So that like the Israelites of old, you now today, as he's writing this letter to the Galatian Christians um, who, were, who were Gentiles, not Jews, but they were Gentile Christians, He says, now you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're also an heir. God sent forth his spirit now, not the law, to guide you and direct you as he leads you on this way to the promised land. To this future inheritance of all of creation being made new and you having a part to play in that. This is the story that Paul is retelling in Galatians 4, that we're listening to again here tonight. And it's the story of God's self-revelation. It's actually a Trinitarian account. God sent forth his Son, and then God sent forth the Spirit of his Son. This may be the earliest letter that we have, the earliest writing that we have from the early church. And there it's pointing to the reality of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The self-revelation of God working in the world for our rescue and for our redemption. Now, movies like Lord of the Rings, I know the Hobbit trailer has come out. I've seen it already, even though the movie's not coming out for a year. I think that's almost obscene (laughs) that we've got a trailer a year before the movie. But nonetheless, I did watch it. And, uh, and, you know, these kinds of movies have um, these great battle scenes. And I'm thinking back to the Lord of the Rings when there are these, these kind of gigantic creatures that are kind of traipsing through the wilderness. And then these tiny little, you know, people or dwarfs or elves trying to come up and do damage to them. And in the same way, as we think about this moment in looking forward, this reality of the story of God's rescue and redemption is like that gigantic creature that's crunching through our world and our existence. This reality, the, the fact that God has sent forth his son Jesus to live and to die for us and to give us new life, the fact that God saves is so much more substantial and real than anything else that we might be dreaming about that you may have written down today, however you do your New Year's resolution ritual. You know, whatever it is that you wrote down today just pales in comparison in terms of significance in your life compared to the reality of what Paul's writing about to the Galatians in in this book, in this letter. That reality is the one to be reckoned with, to shape us, to define us and to move us forward. So 2012 is upon us. We are in many ways at a fork in the road. So what will 2012 hold? And how will I proceed? So I want to encourage a way forward for us as a community into this new year in Christmas time. That instead of gazing ahead with a potentially rootless optimism or maybe an optimism that's only rooted in the substantialness of my own power and my own will. Maybe my resolutions are rooted in that. Or just maybe in the winds of fortune. So that's one way of proceeding. But, but, but to proceed instead in the light of Christmas, of Jesus, Yahweh saves, of this reality of salvation, of adoption by the Holy Spirit. Into the family of God. Made new as sons and daughters of the living God. With true hope and true joy. Yes, indeed, we are uncertain about the intermediate. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in June. And I don't know what's going to happen in November. And I don't know what's going to happen in 2014 or 2018. I just don't know. I can't know. And neither do you. So we're uncertain about the intermediate. But we are absolutely, fundamentally certain about the ultimate. Which Jesus coming into the world assures us about. That God rescues, God reigns, and that God will reign forever. And we with him as his children. And as heirs of the world. And so assured of this reality that Christmastide points us to then I say let's proceed into this year by giving to God our resolutions and maybe they're really good resolutions and I pray that God gives you the grace to keep those resolutions for this year. Our hopes, what it is that comes to our minds that we're hoping for in this year, our fears, our our anxieties, let's give them over to this one. His love and His faithfulness are our anchors in this life. He Himself is our hope and and our goal. Ultimately, we're pursuing nothing else but Him. And yieldedness and faithfulness to Him, this is why I say let's, let's surrender these things over to Him, are the means, our means. By which we proceed. So his love and faithfulness as our anchors. Him as our goal, and faithfulness and yieldedness as our means. Let's proceed into this year in that way, in the light of the salvation that God has brought in Christmas. Amen?